welcome to the After the Bell podcast, brought to you by Connects Education Academy. Our podcast is here to help teachers, leaders and tutors. We will be discussing the latest issues in education and sharing top tips for use in the classroom, both face-to-face or virtually. Welcome back to your weekly educational podcast from Connects Academy. Georgie here. Our experts join me again, Andy Bridge, a current deputy head teacher, and Debbie Davis, head teacher of primary school. Both are experienced SENCOs. Hi, Debbie and Andy. Great to have you with us. Hello. Hi, good to see you both. Let's look at school and the SENCO to practice today, and we're going to look at the implications of them because they're absolutely huge. It's It significantly affects the provision that's offered to children with SEND, whether in mainstream or specialist settings. And it's crucial that it isn't just SENCOs that understand these implications. I think we all agree that all teachers, teaching assistants and school leaders need a good understanding of this section of the code of practice. So let's start by exploring this crucial section in detail. Debbie, would you like to start with your thoughts on this topic? Uh, Of course. So the SEND Code of Practice, it it plays a significant role in shaping the provision offered to children with special educational needs in both mainstream and specialist educational settings. It's not just the responsibility of the the SENCO, the Special Educational Needs Coordinator, to understand the implications of this code. All teachers, teaching assistants and school leaders they really have to have a good understanding of it. So I guess let's let's have a look at this crucial section in detail. I mean, Andy, what do you think? You know, Debbie, I, I think the, the really key thing is for, for schools to take away from the code practice is that we are expected to provide a really inclusive education. And we can go back um, in history pre the first code of practice. If we go back to 1994, um, the England subscribed to what's called the Salamanca Statement. And this was like a UNESCO international agreement um, where many, many countries signed up to say, actually, we believe that the vast, vast, vast majority of children should be educated in a mainstream school. And there's only a very, very small number of children with extreme um, and significant special educational needs that should be separate in a um, special school. So on that basis, if we're saying that we believe the vast majority of children should be educated in a mainstream school, but we're also believing the statement that all children are unique and different and have got different needs, then then we have to subscribe to this idea of an inclusive education where we accept that we're going to need to make differences and adjustments and tweaks to our provision so that every child has got equal opportunities to access education and participate fully in every aspect of the school life. And and it's down to SENCOs and teachers and school leaders and TAs and everybody that's associated with a child's education to create this really inclusive environment so that no matter what the child's diverse need is, they can do really well within the school. Yeah, well said, Andy. And I mean, next we can we can talk about the identification and assessment of 
special educational needs. And we touched upon that in our last pod podcast on early years provision. But, you know, in a wider sense for all schools, the, the SEND Code of Practice, it provides guidelines on how to identify and assess children with, with SEND um, really effectively. And it emphasises the importance of early years intervention, as we've mentioned, and the use of appropriate assessments to identify each specific child's needs. So teachers and TAs play a crucial role in, in observing and recognising signs of special educational needs. And they should work closely with the SENCO to ensure timely assessments um, and appropriate support. And that's really important. Yeah. Do you know, I, I think it's really interesting that, Debbie, that, um, you know, using the assessments, then identify the support and reviewing it. And we've mentioned before that's called the graduated approach. There's four stages to it, assess, plan, do and review. And it's a cycle. We assess the child and what they can do and what they're struggling with. We make a plan with parents, then we do it, we implement it, and then we all meet, we review it, we see how things are going and we change the targets. But what I'm seeing increasingly in schools is because there's so much demand, so much need and limited resources, Senko's are firefighting. So they do the assess bit and they do the plan bit. And they say, yeah, the child's struggling with X, Y, and Z, let's put a plan in place. But increasingly, I'm then seeing the plans not be implemented because they've not got the staffing, they've not got the resources, and they're on to then firefighting, writing a plan for another child and another child and another child. Um, and, and that's sad to see because this idea of the graduated approach, where you can see it fully through, and it builds that partnership with the parents, the carers, we review the progress, we co-collaborate, it works. And, and we see the children make progress, but um, unfortunately I am seeing that it, it slightly fall down in places where we're struggling with capacity that we've talked about before. It's back to that ca capacity conversation, isn't it? All, always, Andy. Um, and, you know, we're striving to do the best, but actually we, there needs to be some some more support uh, enabled from somewhere. I think another important aspect to the code of practice is the involvement of parents and carers. And we've absolutely done a whole podcast on that before, but schools are encouraged to actively involve parents in decision-making processes and to promote effective communication and collaboration. Teachers and school leaders should establish positive relationships with parents and carers and ensure that they are well informed and involved in every step of the way with their child's education. Effective partnerships, again, we've talked about between schools and parents can greatly enhance the support provided to children with SEN. That, that as I've just explained in a nutshell, Debbie, what, what would you say about that? Well, let's not forget the role of the SENCO is, is my point, that the SENCO is responsible for coordinating support for children with, with special educational needs and ensuring the school's uh, special educational needs policy is effectively implemented. And they play a pivotal role in supporting teachers and TAs, providing them with guidance, resources and training to meet the diverse needs of the students and children. And collaboration between teachers, TAs and the SENCO is essential. And this creates what we've been, it's underpinned everything we've been saying on all our podcasts about that inclusive environment and supportive environment for learning. And I will say that, you know, the SEND code doesn't hold all, all the cards and doesn't do everything. It's everyone is a teacher of special educational needs and we all have to step up to that for it to work, really. 
And I, and I think there needs to be adequate sort of training and development in place here at Next Academy. We've got the awareness of SEND code of practice, but we've also got a number of other um, a whole suite of SEND sort of training focusing on, on dyslexia, dyscalculia, ADHD, autism, understanding autism friendly classrooms. So there is a wide variety of short courses that teachers, TAs, leaders can actually access very quickly and very cheaply to get themselves upskilled and, and get some strategies to take away. So please find time to go and have a look on connects-academy.com. So as we wrap up sort of a quick overview of schools and the impacts on, on um, from the code of practice on schools expectations. Andy, do you have any sort of final thoughts on that? Uh, do you know, I think it'd be interesting to just comment on um, in the last podcast, the early years one, we looked at that transition from an early year setting into school. Um, maybe here would be a good point to talk about that transition from primary school to secondary. Um, I've only ever worked in secondary school. Debbie's in quite a unique position in that she's worked in both um, secondary earlier in career and now in primary. So you're maybe a um, better place to comment than me, Debbie. But I think it's really interesting looking at that transition for um, year six into year seven um, and what that looks like and what we're doing for children with SEN that is above and beyond the transition package that we provide for everybody. Um, but I, I think uh, you know, generally schools do that quite well. I think sometimes the bit that gets missed is the work with parents and carers, because often in a primary school, you know, I know I'm generalising, but generally they're much smaller settings and the, the parents might walk their child to school and they, if they want to, can have a chat with the head teacher on the gate every single day. And the head teacher probably knows all of the parents and the family by name and the children by name. And then they move to a secondary school where the scale is so different. And then quite often they're getting a bus to school or they're walking with their friends. The parents aren't dropping them at the gate. The staff might not be on the gate in the morning to have a chat with the parent, you know, that knows their child. Um, and for me, we sometimes forget what a difficult transition that can be for the parents um, when we only think about the transition from the perspective of the child. I don't know, Debbie, if you agree or have other thoughts. Well, you know what resonated with me, Andy? I mean, I totally agree with you. And you said something in, in a previous podcast about how when when the child might, it was you were talking about the provision that we give children to help them to be able to access the day and, 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 and thrive. And you talked about a situation where, you know, a, a teacher might write a storyboard and say, you know, at nine o'clock, we're going to have some lunch and at nine o'clock, nine o'clock, we'll have some breakfast. And then after breakfast, we're going to do some number work and it, it'll last for this amount of time and you actually depict the whole child's day because the day is so it's a form of anxiety not knowing what's going to happen can you imagine a child with special educational needs moving into a new school secondary if that's what you have to do in primary to get them to feel comfortable about the day it's massive and mm -hmm. Good schools, I've worked in some fantastic schools where that transition is fantastic. The children know the teachers before they go. They're always up there. The teachers who are taking them in uh, know all their needs uh, and know their parents. They've had meetings. They've been in school much more than other children in mainstream and they feel comfortable. But actually still with that, there's massive anxiety and 
you know, you, you really have to work exceptionally hard on transitions. That's that's a really good point you've made there, Andy. It's the implications, isn't it? it all the good work that's done in, in the previous provider and support provision, it could be undermined just by not managing that transition effectively. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, in our next podcast, we're actually going to look at um, send support in further education and post-16 providers. So actually, again, there's another step from um, and transition that needs to be managed in a, a child's with SENS sort of journey and also holding the hands of the parent along the way to maintain that relationship. Um, so there is sort of, you know, opportunities, not opportunities, but a potential challenges where this, this sort of transition and handover process doesn't happen. So again, schools need to be mindful of that as well. Thank you both, Debbie and Andy, as always, a really, really insightful conversation. And we hope that people listening to the seventh podcast around SEND Code of Practice and our focus on sort of school implications today has been re really useful. As I mentioned, we're going to focus on further education of post-16 providers and the implications of the SEND Code of Practice for them next week. You can pick up our After the Bell podcast that are released on a weekly basis and provide quick tips and discussions with our experts around all things educational. So hopefully you can listen to this if you're on your treadmill, walking the dog even, or as your focus for the day. Thank you for listening. This is After the Bell. Thank you.